I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by Joseph Lamagna and Shane Bacon, and we are going to have a rousing debate on the West Coast Swing, the, the pluses, the minuses uh, from this year's kind of premier run on the PGA Tour. I'm sure that they would hate to hear me say premier run for the West Coast Swing, but it's just true. Uh, it's the best collection of tournaments that the Tour has. Um, and, uh, this year was, uh, it was interesting. There, there's a lot of stuff to talk about with it, but first Joseph, what are you in on? Andy, I am in on CBS coverage and I, I think they've made a number of strides still have maybe some issues with the commercial load, but I think they've done a really good job. Sure. With like some data visualization and doing a better job of setting up some of the holes and some camera shots. But what I was really impressed with with CBS this past weekend is that they're covering the most important stories in the events in a way that I feel like they shied away from in years past. So I think the two examples, Scotty Scheffler's putter this past weekend at the Genesis, they showed him missing some short putts. It's a huge story. Him throwing his putter, him slapping his putter. I, I feel like in years past, maybe they've been afraid to do that because they get an angry email from an agent or a player's upset, but they did it. And also, the, the other example was pace of play, where pretty early into Sunday's round, they showed, look, the Patrick Cantlay-Xander-Shoffley group is over a hole behind, like three to four holes into their round. I think they're doing a much better job this year, at least it seems to me, like covering the most important stories of the event, and I'm really impressed with CBS's coverage. Not to mention, uh, they asked Rory McIlroy about Sky Scheffler's putting, and I feel like that's just something that you might be hesitant asking one top player uh, to really talk about another top player's weakness. And I thought it was one of the most interesting responses uh, that we've gotten on, you know, somebody speculating on on Scheffler's putting and somebody that went from a blade to a mallet putter, somebody that has had chronicled putting issues and been, you know, in the same stratosphere of Scheffler's ball striking. You know, this is, uh, that was a, a an amazing response. And I, I agree. I, I really like the, that they have a little bit of a focus again on, on the golf swing. I always find that illuminating and interesting to hear. Uh, you know, this was Trevor Immelman talking about the uh, this, uh, uh, breaking down a golf swing. I thought that was really cool. Um, I think the just in general, uh, they have been leaps and bounds better than NBC uh, in the in the last two years. And it, it seems like the gap continues to widen and and that's that that's a bummer for you know the floor swing that goes back to NBC. totally agree and even like with uh amanda asking rory hey it seems like riviera is a place that you can kind of take stock of your game she was sort of implying right that not all pj tour venues are the same and i, I just think they're doing a better job with with their questioning um so yeah i'm in on cbs coverage andy what are you in on i am in on uh will zalatoris's comeback here 
This All was right. a great story from the weekend, uh, is having Will Zalatoris back. This is a potential superstar for the game of golf. I think there are questions if he'll ever ever win at a clip that would be a superstar level, but he is a guy that can contend and be a fixture on the leaderboard because of how good of a ball striker he is. I mean, you're talking about one of the most talented players from T to green that exists in the world. Um, this was a guy that was really rounding into uh, a star role on the PGA Tour before a back injury set him back and and kind of uh, derailed uh, the progress he was making. So just in general, to talk a little bit about his ramp up, he came back from basically a year off, uh, roughly a year off. It was like a half a year. He had a short return. Uh, he's been, you know, he was out for, if you take out the return, the the failed return in 2023, he was basically out for about a year and a couple months. Uh, the ramp up was, he came in dead last at Hero. It was ugly. It wasn't good. Uh, he missed the cut at Sony. Wasn't good. Then we started to see signs of life. T34 at Amex, T13 at Farmers. And then this week, he was obviously T2nd at Genesis. He finished three shots behind Hideki. He had three short misses on putts on Sunday. Uh, missed putts on five, six, and uh, ten, I think. So he had really good chance at, at being right there with Hideki. But obviously had a chance to win on the back nine on Sunday. The putter going to a broom. The putter is always going to be the topic of conversation with the, with Zalatoris. He's gone to the broomstick, the lab putter that uh, Lucas Glover's had a lot of success with, and the stroke looks a lot better. Um, there's still like the stroke still looks better. I watched uh, a few holes up close. The stroke still looks way better from 20 feet than uh, than six feet, but it looks so much better than with the short putter. Um, and just as a reminder, like so before the injury. He had had six top six finishes in the 12 starts before the injury. And in in eight majors, he WD'd in, in the his eight majors. Like he had one start before he was on the tour. He qualified for US Open. But in eight majors, if you disqualify that one um, and you disqualify the, the WD that he had in one, in eight majors, he has six top 10 finishes. Pretty incredible. Uh, record. It's great to have him back in the game. Um, I'm super excited to see where this goes. I'm with you, Andy. I was, as you were talking, I was pulling up his major championship track record to to give that same uh, statistic. And I think people talk a lot about Will Zalatoris elevating his game for majors. And while I don't necessarily disagree, I think he just has a skill set that's built for demanding setups. So it doesn't have to be a major. It can be Riviera, which is a more major championship like setup and that level of ball striking the way that that can he's in, able to separate himself from some of the guys that aren't as good of ball strikers and maybe at Amex or some of the other tournaments that are a little bit more driver wedge putter that's not going to be as much Will Zalatoris's spot but when he gets on a more major championship like setup we've seen what he can do and so I think this week this past weekend was a good a good sign of what may be in store for Will if he's healthy in 2024. I think it's illuminating with Zalatoris and Hideki, right? Those are two guys yep. that really are elite, elite, elite iron players when they're cooking. And just what the things that they could do on some of those tough back nine back nine holes at Riviera, like uh, 12, 13, 15 holes that really demand great iron play. Um, you know, Hideki, obviously the shot probably of the tournament was his approach on 15, but 
that's, you know, those are the things that stick out with them and, and probably why they played well at Riviera. Yep. All right. What are you out on? Andy, I am out on the roughification of America. I mainly in light of seeing some of the, the mowing lines at Riviera this past week and having never been there before in person, seeing the rough between like the brank on in the fairway on holes seven and holes eight or seven and eight. Um, Look, I think I'd, I'd almost want to shift the narrative a little bit if we can on what rough is. Like, I think it's only framed for people generally as rough is hard, fairway is easy. And that does that ignores how the ball got there. Like, I think if we thought about fairway and rough a little bit more as the speed of the surface and that the ball is rolling on the fairway and the rough stops it, That'd be a more intelligent conversation and more illustrative of what's actually happening. If you have rough between the hazard and fairway, like on eight at Riviera, it stops the ball from going into the Barranca. That is not making the golf course more challenging or more demanding. The rough there is making it easier. So I'd almost just like to reframe the conversation around grass a little bit of how fast the surface is, because that's indicative of the challenge, right? The greens at Augusta are massive. They're not easy. It requires a lot of control because they're big and they're fast. It's, it's, I think thinking about it in terms of how the ball rolls is more of an intelligent way to look at golf than just looking at difficulty because the ball is in the rough versus the ball is in the fairway. I mean, a great example would be the uh, 14th hole or the 13th hole at LACC that everybody probably remembers from last uh, year's uh, U.S. Open. Now that whole right half of the fairway just runs off into the rough. And if that was rough, it'd be easier. Like the fairway would be narrower, sure. You know, it would be 20 yards wide. But because this mode is fairway on the right side, the ball rolls further away and down into a worse angle and makes the shot more blind. So yes, I'm I'm in the same boat. I, I mean, I think more fair. I don't think Riviera would play necessarily. The score might be a little bit lower if you went wider, but I think you'd see players get way more out of position and into way worse spots to attack those greens. You see it, you know, when you get out of position out there, it's just such a, um, such a bad, you know, that's how you make big numbers is just from getting into poor positions. And a lot of times the rough stops it from, from getting into worse positions as you eliminate it. I'm out on, on aim point. <laughs> I think it's just such a silly thing. I saw guys like, you know, I just saw guys standing. They just literally stand on the green. I mean, you think about it and sure, like there's, it's not going anywhere. I just think it's like, it's one of those things that makes golf insanely silly is I saw guys just standing on the putting green, just standing there, practicing, measuring the slope with their feet. They were just standing on the green and that's putting practice. Like I was talking with a, with a player uh, who doesn't aim point about it. I was like, you know, you don't aim point like, you know, and, and, and I was like, I couldn't imagine being an aim pointer, going to the golf course and standing on a putting green for like two hours, coming home and like talking to my wife and being like, I had a great day of practice. I really nailed standing on the green, you know, and, and measuring the slope with my feet. But anyways, it's here to stay. I just wanted to get that off my check. I think our chest, I think it's so silly. Um, anyways, uh, that, that does it for in and out. Before we get to Shane in the West Coast Swing discussion, let's talk about our sponsor, Club Champion. 
I've been going to Club Champion basically my whole life, and I got to hand it to him. I am playing some of the best golf of my life uh, the last really almost a year, and I'm not practicing. I'm just a different stage of life with my golf game, but I'm playing truly great golf. Um, And I got to say, I think a lot of it has to do with being in with my equipment being super dialed in. So if you go to Club Champion, they have 120 plus studios nationwide. All the major metro areas are covered. You get to go try out all the equipment, right? Like what I love about the whole experience is going in and finding the exact setup that's right for you. That's, you know, you can try out a bunch of different heads, a bunch of different shafts. They have 65,000 possible combinations. Um, That includes all of the 2024 new releases. And really, they they have the best master fitters. I went to a new master fitter uh, this this time around uh, out on the West Coast. It was great. Um, Fitted golfers typically find over 20 extra yards off the tee on average, um, and they use TrackMan for all that data. So go to clubchampion.com. And use the promo code FRIEDEGG and you'll get a 50% off your fitting with a purchase. That's use the promo code FRIEDEGG, clubchampion.com, and you'll get 50% off your uh, fitting with a club purchase. Thanks. And now to Shane and Joseph on the West Coast Swing. All right. The West Coast Swing is wrapped up. Uh, It ended with a a bang with with Hideki Matsuyama playing just an unbelievable round 62 final round 62 at Riviera to kind of end what looked like a very very competitive tournament quickly um five players were tied for the lead and next thing you know it looked very unlikely that anybody was going to catch Matsuyama with three four holes left so um just all in all I think the west coast swing was it was an interesting one there were a lot of bad luck for the PGA tour, there was, uh, some, you know, winners that were a little bit long shot winners, um, that, that led to this. And they were also coming off of what last year was arguably probably the best West coast swing ever in terms of winners storylines. So this one kind of felt a little lackluster, but to talk about the entire West coast swing, We've got Shane Bacon alongside uh, Joseph Lamagna. Shane, welcome on. What did you think of the West Coast swing? I, I wrote this down a couple of days ago, Andy. I feel like this would have been an awesome West Coast swing in 2008, 2009. You know, the tour was kind of looking for whatever might be following Tiger, Phil, Ernie. And I think it was always searching. It's a brutal West Coast swing in 2024. I mean, I, I did a word of the week. Um, for the egg right before Pebble about how the PGA Tour needed its superstars to step up. And we're kind of still waiting for that. Obviously, Hideki, I think he's in and out of being a superstar, depending on the year and depending on how he's playing. But you kind of go through the winners. I mean, you've got, you know, a lot of good stories. I think that's been the big part of the West Coast Swing was the stories coming out of these events were fun for riders to wax poetically about. But, I mean, the golf needs big boys to play well. And right now, Scotty can't putt. Spieth can't sign a correct scorecard. Rory's having those Rory stretches right now where he goes brain dead for about half an hour, and that kind of ruins his week. He did it at Pebble. You know, he did it the first round at Spyglass, did it again on Thursday at Riv. Rom's obviously at Liv. JT played awful at Riviera. 
after a good start to the season. Hovland has been lost after obviously finishing the the 2023 year great. Like, where are these guys at right now? And golf needs these guys. The PGA Tour needs them. So I'd say sleepy. I'd say disappointing. And as you said, Andy, I think a lot of curveballs were thrown at the officials and the events with weather and you know players pulling out like we had at Phoenix. And obviously nothing you could do about those types of situations. Yeah, real quick, just to compare and contrast last year. Last year, Rahm at Kapalua, Siwoo Kim at Sony. And you might say, oh, Siwoo Kim. Siwoo Kim's a player's champion. He's, what, won five times now, I think, on tour. Uh, then you got John Rahm again at Amex. You got Homa at Tory, um, which that was his third win in the in, within the last 12 months. So really like a, you know, just... He'd been around a lot. You got Justin Rose in a terrible pebble field. Justin Rose wins, which is former world number one, like one of the best case scenarios for that field. Then you had Scotty going back to back at waste management for the second year in a row. And then you had Rom beating Homa at Riv last year. This year, you go Chris Kirk, Grayson Murray, Nick Dunlap, which would have been that's that was an incredible story. Like you said, there were some great stories. That was an incredible story. It just so it happened to coincide with like the busiest weekend in NFL football. So it, it like that if that's if that happens this week, if Dunlap wins this week or if he won AT&T when there was no football, I think that story transcends into like the greater sports bloodstream. But because of when it happened, it just didn't pop. Matthew Pavon, who wins Tory, who most Americans have no clue who it is, who he is. You know, he's a European tour player, and you know, has played well since he's been over here. And then Andy, he, Andy, let me let me just cut in real quick. He wasn't in the field at Riv, right? I mean, this well, is the guy. He, he, he chose not to, not to he play. Just didn't play. I mean, it's just like you know, you're seeing all these graphics with the FedEx Cup and and all those things flashing around, and this dude's not even playing the event, like. <laughs> Talk about hits to the tour. I mean, I kept like I scrolled a couple of times over those four days looking for his name on the leaderboard after like the the latest kind of FedEx Cup file we saw. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. So then then you get Wyndham Clark, which would have been a great winner in a vacuum, but it happened on a Saturday and nobody knew that it was over when he won. That would have been an amazing final round. If it was if we were watching it in the context of this is the final round, so weather comes in and kind of ruins that day, seeds the way to live. And then they get awful weather again at Scottsdale, which leads to probably the best tournament, the best finish. Nick Taylor running down Charlie Hoffman, incredible flurry. He birdied 18 three times in a row. And, and this all happens during the first half of the Super Bowl. So nobody's watching. And then you get the Hideki, which is like, Hey, that, it was like kind of whipped cream on shit, to be completely honest. Um, it's like, and, like a great dessert after like a brutal steak. Like you got yeah. the steak medium well. It came. It was there was no red in the center. There was no pink in the center. You're just battling through it. You can't send it back. And the dessert was good. Like the strawberry shortcake plate. So, yeah. So that's kind of the West Coast swing. Um, and and I think why it 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 felt um a little lackluster so joseph what what did you think of the west coast swing i agree i thought it was super flat i think one question i have or takeaway 
I'm not sure there are many superstars in golf. Are there actually golfers who are super solid week in and week out to where they deserve the superstar title? I don't think that's new to the the last year. Like I think that's a point that we've kind of made over the past three to four years that there aren't those golfers that show up every week. John Rahm and Rory McIlroy to an extent might be those only the only two players. Rory hasn't really shown up. Obviously he won in Dubai over on the DP world tour earlier this year, but in two starts on the PGA tour hasn't really shown up. So are there week in and week out superstars? Like I'm actually just not sure that golf has any right now. Are there, I would say there's probably three Scotty. I think he's at least a fixture on the leaderboard every single week. And I think that's it. Like, I think that is like one of the, the challenges with the sport right now is that it's super hard to be a superstar. Um, and I think like Jordan Spieth's a superstar in the sense of like his stature in the game, but the last six years haven't, haven't, he hasn't played at a superstar level. Um, really since Burkdale, it's been, it's been pretty hit or miss. And I, I think it puts the game golf, the most successful eras of golf are when there's dominant play. It's Nicholas, it's Palmer, it's Tiger Woods. Like when it's struggled has been when it hasn't had superstars. What one other point though that I would add, I think it's to contextualize some of the false or the West Coast swing here. Venues are really important. And I think some of the venues that they're playing at don't always lend themselves, especially like Century had no wind. It's gonna be a kind of a putting contest, which which lends itself to some randomness. Amex is a driver wedge fest. Sony, there was not a lot of golfers even showed up for that. Uh, Phoenix didn't have a very strong field. So I agree that the superstars didn't really show up this West Coast swing, but they didn't tee it up that often either. And the, the one venue, Riviera, that tends to do the best job of highlighting talent had a strong field and delivered. So I, I agree that it's been underwhelming, but I also think that's a function of which players show up to play and the venues themselves. Shane, do you agree yeah, with that? I well, you know, it's interesting when we look back on 2023, right? Because Andy read off how great the start to the season was. And then that was the best part of the year. I mean, I'm a West Coast guy through and through. I think the West Coast is the best part of the season. I wrote last year for the Friday, I think for the newsletter, Andy, that I think the playoffs should end at the Players' Championship. And this should be kind of when these events matter the most for the quote-unquote end of your season. And I still stand by that just because – you know, over the past few years and decades, the West Coast swing has been the most exciting, whether it's primetime golf or the golf courses, whatever the case may be. I do feel like after the West Coast swing, the PGA Tour in general general was pretty sleepy last year. The majors weren't great. And you kind of look back on great wins in 2023 outside of that start to the season. I don't think you'd pinpoint more than maybe a couple of those. So maybe when you look back on 2024, the players are kind of, resting a bit more to start the season. You heard Rory and Jordan say last year they were exhausted by the time they got to Augusta National. So maybe they're taking a bit of a break right now and trying to maintain, you know, some of, you know, basically maintain a little bit of energy throughout the year. And maybe that will play out later in the year. And maybe that's an important part of resting, if you will, or not playing some of the events we see and play in. But I think your point on the golf courses is very strong. And I think when there's a lot of randomness involved and in how deep golf is right now, it's hard to see Rory, Scotty, 
Jordan, Justin, Victor contend week in and week out. By the way, Andy's shed door just opened. You heard it? I heard I heard the click. <laughs> the uh yeah, I I mean, I think I think the new fall is is a good question, right? Like last year guys played more than this year. Um are you're going to be a little rustier. Uh I think you look at the guys that won Chris Kirk and Grayson Murray. Those guys played in the fall leading in into those first two weeks. Um so I do think that that is a consideration. Um I I agree with the venues there aren't there just aren't a lot of venues that can you know with the with the modern technology how many venues yeah. can actually test the tour pros, right? They're they're few and far between. It's and you can't you can't host a tour with 40 events that that could possibly have 40 venues that can host them unless you start building new venues. Um and I don't trust the tour to build new venues. They've they've shown a track record of building great courses. Um, so I think that's that's kind of an an area where it it um you know they 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 struggle. I I think one other aspect of what could be happening too is like we see all the equipment uh, marketing. I I'll speak to it myself. Like I have a new. Callaway Paradigm driver. I don't have the AI smoke one, but I have last year's. It's incredible when you hit it off center. What what happens with the ball? The ball goes just as far. It goes straight. And I do think that that's a big contributing factor in terms of like the great players always had this unbelievable skill of being able to drive the ball better than everyone else. And I think they still have that skill. There's still a little bit of that, but the dis- the gap is much smaller than it used to be. And the more that the equipment becomes forgiving with the driver, the less superstars you're going to have. And I think that's just a general, the more forgiving, the easier equipment becomes for tour players, the less skill is rewarded. And that's a bad recipe for the game of golf. And I know that the tour has been very outspoken about their, their, the all regulations bad effectively in equipment and people want to come watch the long ball. What people want to do is they want to go watch superstars. They want to go see the greatest of all time. That's the same in every single sport. And if you're the PGA tour, the way you should be running your sport, the way you should be thinking about it is how do we develop and, and, uh, really promote superstardom, and to do that, you you should want the the stiffest equipment uh, regulations you can get, right? Well, I'm, Andy, Andy, I think you know to Joseph's point about the golf courses, right? Because of equipment and because of how far these guys hit it, and because of how easy it is for these guys to hit balls in the fairway, it takes Riviera and Augusta National and name maybe two or three other golf courses to truly test the players skills through the bag. Right. I wrote this on Twitter a couple of days ago, but you know, Cam Davis, who I remember opened great on Thursday at Riviera, you know, he shoots 65 in the first round. He shot 30 on the back nine at Riv. Right. And the margin of playing good at Riviera versus playing bad at Riviera is incredibly thin. I think it's the thinnest that pro golf sees all year long, even more so than Augusta national. This dude shoots 30 on the back nine on Thursday and didn't break 40 the rest of the week on the back nine. Same guy, right? I mean, yeah. makes 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 whatever, five birdies on the back, plays awesome, doesn't make a bogey, and then he's slightly off the next three rounds and he shoots 41, 41, 40 
There's just not that many courses, Joseph, that force these guys to hit exact spots, to hit perfect tee shots, to cut a drive into a fairway that makes you cut a drive and then hit a draw that makes you hit a draw. Like the test at Riv has withstood the test of time, even through equipment. And that's why the event is so great for golf fans and golf enthusiasts. And what happens is you leave Riviera and you go right back to ballparks that don't demand those types of things. And you see, you know, 15, 20 guys at 18 under or better because they can hit it all over the ballpark and still make pars and birdies. Yeah, I, I hate to to pick on a particular name, but there's one one that comes to mind. Again, don't love throwing names like this under the bus, but like Taylor Montgomery, when he came onto the PGA Tour, racked up a bunch of top five, top 15 finishes in a row on the fall swing. And on this early part of the year, Sony, Amex, these are some soft setups that putting tends to be a little bit more of, of a factor than at a place like Genesis. And so I do think overreact, I, I don't want to overreact to some of the results and the stars not showing up to some of the venues that don't always let you do that. If we'd watched six Rivieras in a row and the stars weren't showing up, I'd be a little bit more concerned. But like, isn't it kind of interesting that Nick Dunlap goes out and wins Amex and then really gets punched in the mouth and his two starts on tour that are a little bit more demanding venues. Like, I think the golf course is a relevant part of this conversation. Yeah. I mean, we see it every year with majors, right? We see it. I mean, it's just a completely different brand and style of golf. Um, and it's just, there just aren't a lot of places given the current state of the game that can, that can demand shot making from the world's best players. That's, that I think that's the problem is the game has fallen a little bit out of balance where, I mean, you think about PGA West in 1987, it was unplayable because it was too hard. And now, you know, we, we fast forward almost 40 years and it's, it's one of the easiest places on the entire schedule. So, um, Speaking of the West Coast swing, obviously it's it's the first look at a lot of players. It's you know, or it's the first look at this year. Were there any players that really uh, that really stood out, um, whether in a good way or a bad way, um, with you guys? Is there somebody that you know that that you really took note of? The Victor thing to me has been a bit surprising. I thought he would. I thought he was going to kind of pick up where he left off, and I know he's still kind of warming up the engine, but. You know, Joseph, you and I talked a little bit about this, just the vibe of the golf tournaments right now, just the general vibe of those top tier players. And I think I think it's it's being exhausted over the last year and a half of all the conversations that aren't golf. It's something you and I, I think, have been exhausted about as well. It's like, all right, man, like how many times can we talk about what's going to happen, merger, live, who's leaving, yada, 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 right? And these players, I'm assuming, have been exhausted by getting asked those types of questions. But it just feels like these guys, even to start the season, I mean, you think about the first Three, four weeks in NFL season. Everybody's vibing, right? Everybody's all excited. Our team has a chance to to win some games and maybe change the the narrative that surrounded us in the preseason, right? NBA's the same way. First couple of weeks, always pretty exciting, exciting before there's kind of a lull let down after Christmas, right? And it just feels like this is the time of year that's normally really exciting and guys are fired up to be there. And a lot of these guys, like you think about the way Cantley and Xander looked in the final pairing, you know, on, on Sunday at Riv, just nothing out of the gate. And Victor, after the way he played to end 2023 and the way he played at the Ryder Cup, I've been surprised that Victor has played very mediocre mediocre golf 
to this point. So I'd say that's one name I've been thinking about, Andy. Do, do you, Shane, to that point of, of people feeling pretty comfortable, I know Brendan made the point on the shotgun start that these large purses maybe have guys feeling a little bit more comfortable. I think there could also be an angle here where in the signature events we've seen so far, very few golfers have been getting cut. And I don't want to overdo the the cut line thing because maybe that is, uh, I'm overreacting and it's not as big of a deal, but Century has no cut. I think that didn't feel super intense. Maybe it never does, but that doesn't have a cut line. Then at Pebble, there wasn't a cut. And then the only other signature event we've had so far, the Genesis, only like 15 golfers ended up getting cut. It was like hard and to miss the cut at Riv. Yeah. It was it was borderline difficult to miss the cut at Riviera. And and I think if you have these massive purses, but hey, only 35 to 40 of you are getting through the cut out of 70 or 80, like maybe it would significantly heighten the intensity. I don't think the players would go for it, but at some point the, it starts to show through on the product if the intensity isn't there. And some of the people who have levied criticism at live for not having cut lines, like maybe we're starting to see some of that lack of intensity permeate through the PGA Tour product. I mean, when you're finishing 31st and taking home 100 k, it's it's like, oh, this is a nice week work for you know very. You're finishing just you're finishing average. You know, there's I think four or five guys that finished 31st this week, so you're literally the middle of the field, and you take home six figures. It's it's a it's a definite contrast departure from the old way of the PGA Tour. I think there needed to be some. Um, meeting of of ground from where it was to because of what live did but i i buy the i buy a little bit the money for some guys i think i think it's not going to make a difference for your hyper hyper competitive players right um i don't think it makes a difference for guys like scotty or rory guys that have gotten to the top of the game i don't think that matters for but i think there will be a lot of complacency with some of the players that might not love golf, like that are not or are insane competitors, right? For that type, there's a certain type of player that it will breed some um, complacency. And I think like the openness of, of um, the lack of cut, like the closed off nature of them with the lack of lack of cuts is a real thing too. Like I, it, I think it's going to be a little bit of a shock to the system when we get to some of the majors outside of Augusta. Cause again, that's also a cut that's kind of hard to miss. Right. I mean, the masters is, is always, I mean, before we did signature events, I feel like the masters was one of the easier events in terms of making the cut. Now, obviously that's changed with some of the signature stuff in Riviera and some of the ways they're setting these things up. The other thing too, Andy is like, I've talked to corn Ferry tour players about this, especially a decade ago. You know, some of the guys, that have graduated the PGA Tour and have had success on the PGA Tour. You know, the old way of playing the Corn Ferry Tour was you make the cut and play bad on Saturday. There's really nothing you could do on Sunday to make a difference. I mean, you could shoot six or seven under, and it might be worth eight k or $10,000 right on the Corn Ferry Tour to jump up. I know a lot of the times back in the day, Saturday night was kind of a party night for the guys that, you know, shot 75 and 74 in the third round and, you know, plummeted down the leaderboard. And I'm interested to Joseph's point about the money and just how much money there is in the game is what is pushing guys that played poorly in the third round or just make it to the weekend, if you will, in the new formed cuts. What's pushing these guys to play well? Because if you finish 30th and make 100K, you know, you finish 20th and make, I don't know, whatever, 250, 300K. But if you're 40th 
And you know it's going to take a monumental effort to leapfrog those guys and finish 25th. What's the push? Like, what's the internal push after outside of just simply being competitive? Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I uh, I think that's a a a thing that the the tour is going to have to negotiate and deal with. Uh, I think you know. Back to the original question, a player that's kind of changed my opinion of them over the early part of the year. How about JT Poston? I mean, is this? I said this kind of jokingly on a shotgun start, but is he the best JT in the game right now? I mean, it's it's hard to argue that he's not. You know, I mean, JT, the the real JT or the OG JT, whatever you want to call him. Like Justin Thomas had a great start to the season, but. You see how he played at Riv, and it felt exactly like what we saw in 2023. I mean, all over the place, all over the map. Putty wasn't great. Pitchy wasn't great. Didn't drive it great. Like, this is what he struggled with lately, and all the while, Poston's just solid as hell. So, I mean, I think it's as – I know you're being silly when you bring that up, but I don't think it's as silly as maybe you think it is when you compare the two over the last year and a half. My question would be to Joseph, is this more a result of of the type of golf courses and the soft courses you're you're getting at? I knew you were going to say Look this. Look at him nodding. Look at him nodding. Yeah. He's excited. He's excited about this. He's ready to cuz I I know it's like the strength of his game is is putting around the greens. I I love his story. I just think like this is a guy that he's a late bloomer in high school. He didn't, you know, famously didn't really have any big time offers. And that's why he went to uh, Western Carolina or was it Western Carolina? I think. I think um, right. And, uh, you know, and there, there he blossomed. He's all American at Western Carolina, um, which is obviously not a place that usually breeds, you know, extraordinary golfers. But um, I just I love the progression. I I'm a big fan of guys that start like playing their best golf at age 30. It, it always reminds me of like the way golf used to be more where you, we wouldn't have like, you know, 10 guys that are 23 and under that are, you know, setting the world on fire. I just love the, the progression of his career. He's gotten better every year. He's up to, I think the, probably the highest he's ever been in the world of golf rankings. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see him play in more major championships. I think this is the first time I've ever had, you know, a true like JT Poston excited about JT Poston. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I don't want to necessarily say I'll take the other side because I think JT Poston is a very good golfer and what he does well, short irons in the putting he's exceptional at that's going to do particularly well on certain golf courses. And when you look at where he's done most of his damage over the last year, it's been from last summer through the fall swing into the early part of the West coast swing, which is kind of some of those golf courses, the post and swing, the post and swing. Sure. But look at it. I mean, the results in major championships last year, I I don't think stack up with other players around his world ranking. Right. I mean, he finished 34th at the masters 40th at the PGA missed the cut at the U S open and finished T 41 at the open championship. Like I think maybe we need to, the importance of venues might be a little bit of an underrated storyline uh, as we look at some of the players that are doing really well over the last like six months or so. And even with Justin Thomas, has Justin Thomas stepped up yet onto a challenging venue with a lot of long irons and proven that he's all the way back? Because I, Riviera was kind of the first test of the year and it didn't go so well. Are you saying the post and swing is is from the end of the playoff after the playoffs end to to right now? <laughs> through through like yeah pebble or 
Amex, maybe. Maybe it, it follows when like the post office does like gets like really really hot, you know, around the holidays. Like that's the same time posting gets going, and then the moment the twenty fifth ends, it's like, all right, guys, see you guys next October. That's when we'll dial it up. So we'll do we'll run posting ads after once once the fall 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 through the winter, then we shut them off. Jo- Joseph, do you have somebody that has stood out or been disappointing to you on this, you know, start to the twenty four season? I'll keep it positive because I think more players have been disappointing to start the year than have been exciting. But Will Zalatoris is a, a huge story. And him getting back into the mix at Riviera, almost getting it done, finishing second place. I think he is one of those guys that you can knock a lot of players for not showing up in big events. Will Zalatoris has shown that he, he can step up in big events. So that's a big storyline this year. I think pretty remarkable how quickly he's shaking off some of the rust that he had from his injuries that kept him out of a lot of last year. Anybody that's been watching golf for more than two years knows what Will Zalatoris is capable of when he's healthy. So I'm particularly impressed by him. And then I think you got to mention Hideki Matsuyama, right? Coming out and winning at Riviera finally seems to be healthy, which has been a persistent issue for him over the last couple of years with some neck and back injuries. I think he did a little speed training and I don't know if that, maybe caused any of the injuries, but I do believe Hideki was trying to ramp up his speed a little bit. And now, I mean, it, as you look to the major season and guys that have the skill set to get it done, I'm not saying Hideki's going to be a favorite. He shouldn't be, but he's somebody that could win the Masters. I would, I would, I wrote this down today, um, and I'd like both of your thoughts on this. I think there's an argument to be made that Hideki now owns the best ball striking back nines at Augusta National and Riviera. In the history of those events hosting big tournaments. I mean, you think back to Saturday in 21, he shot 30 on the second nine at the Masters with a three-putt on 13, three-putt at 13 after he hit it exactly where you're supposed to hit it on 13. Laser at 11, close on 12, hits it on in two and 13. Unbelievable shot on a 15, makes the eagle tight on 16, tight on 17. Only David Toms has ever shot a better score on the second nine at Augusta National in the Masters, and that was in 98 when he shot 29. And then the iron play we saw on Sunday at Riviera and just the way he was able to control the golf ball. I mean, he hated the tee shot on 16. It went to six inches. He hated the tee shot on 17. It went 315 down the middle of the fairway. And he didn't really like the tee shot on 18 either. And I mean, it was exactly where you want to hit it, down that left side with a cut. I just feel like this dude, while we don't get it all the time, and that's the one thing about Hideki is there's a relative – there's a relative big bump in terms of consistency with him. Like he can be extremely inconsistent, but what he, when he is consistent, the ball striking is Scotty level with the irons, especially and 21 at Augusta and 24 at Riv are things that will stand out to me for a long, long time. Is that crazy Andy to throw that out that he owns those two records at those two places? Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think it's that crazy. I think the thing that with Hideki is like, I feel like when he's going, the ball goes extraordinarily close. Yeah. Like his, his distance controls so good, right? When it's dialed. Yeah. It's, it's, he can hit it to kick in distance three or four times in a nine, which is, which is nuts. Um, I think something that always needs to be considered with Hideki's career is, is the idea of when you play your best golf of your life. And you can't control that. And Hideki played the greatest golf, had the greatest greatest run of his career in November and December. I think it was of 2016. 
into 2017, maybe. If I recall is that, he, is that when he won the hero and he shot like 30 under or something? Didn't, didn't yeah. he win the hero by like 10? Yeah, he won I'm He like... won something like four events and six starts um, in November and December. He won some Japanese tour uh, starts, won the hero. It was this, you know, and it's like I always think about what if that run had happened in April or June through July does he pick off a bunch of, and we think about his career so much differently because at that time he was unequivocally the best player in the world. I think he got to number two in the rankings, but he was, you know, he was just so far ahead of, of everybody else. And that's really, you know, I think like, I don't know, Joseph, if you have looked into the, like the stat profile, one of the other things I think with Hideki was he was kind of at the front of the speed era. And when he hit the tour, he was very long. And I think that skill became a, li- a little bit more of middle of the road in the in the process. And it took away some of his advantage. With the, does that check out? Yeah, I think there's been a massive sh- change in speed from like 2016 to, to 2023, 2024. And he did come up right through that era. So I think with Hideki um, venues again, like this course fit stuff's big and him struggling so much with the putter, like he's not going to do as well on some of the courses that JT Poston might do well. And Hideki's track record in major championships is pretty impressive. So I think, yeah, he's somebody to keep an eye on the driving performance isn't what it used to be. So I don't think his ceiling is quite as high maybe as it would have been five, six years ago, but Hideki Matsuyama can, if you were to, I'll throw this hypothetical out at at the masters. Who do you think would finish better? If you had to put money on somebody Hideki or Bryson, I I would take Hideki at the masters Hideki Hideki at the U S open or maybe at the PGA. I'd take Bryson. I think I texted Kyle Porter about four weeks ago that I have Bryson winning the Masters. So do I have to stay on that island or can I depart it? Is it like one of those that I'm just stuck there, like Firefest or what? That's I'm pretty tough. out on Bryson at the Masters. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, it was he, Kyle, I think KP responded, I think you've texted everybody in your phone another player. So you can say you kind of got that on record. And I was like, no, I just, I for some reason thought you'd appreciate my my Bryson take. Andy, this is a complete diversion from what we're talking about, but was Bryson like one back when he was an amateur playing with Jordan that year when he made Yeah, well that was in the round one round one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round one. I think he was five under. (laughs) Like, this is unbelievable. And then he made triple on 18 and it was done. But that was probably his best chance at the Masters to this point was the amateur run after he won uh won the USAM. Yeah. Yeah. I um I think, yeah, going back to Hideki, I, his career is very interesting. And I, I'm curious how it, how it finishes out. Um, he obviously, his, his wins, he's got a lot of different golf courses, a lot of big events. I think there's a case that he's a Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if he's there yet. I think from a worldwide impact on the game, he is. Yeah, I think he's there because of what you just said. I think he's he's there's listen, um, Hall of Fame chatter will get older golf media members fired up because of the members that made it in yesteryear. But we're just not going to have a lot of guys that quote unquote qualify on the resume. 15 wins, like yeah, 15 like wins, couple two of majors, majors. Yep. yeah, or yep. a major and a players. Yeah. And it's just like Hideki might win another major. I mean, I don't know if I'd lean. 
I don't know what the odds makers would put it on yes or no, what the favorite would be, Joseph, in that department going forward. I think he's 31 years old, but I think he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think just simply being such an impactful player out of Japan and what he has done throughout his career, I think he's won 18 times worldwide, won a ton of Japan, won obviously all over the U.S. and, and has that victory at Augusta. I just feel like because of that and the impact he's made on golf, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, I believe. All right, let's talk a little bit about the West Coast swing holistically. Do you, you know, we're one year after the greatest West Coast swing the tour probably has ever had. And now, you know, do you think it needs a change? Do you think there's something that needs to change? Well, one question that that I've had, and and I don't want to overreact to the weather being bad, but is the tour getting super unlucky this year or are they flirting with weather danger too much to where the West coast swing isn't at the optimal time. I I understand then you have to replace it with something else. And there's only so many places you can play in January and February, but I think multiple people have pointed out the pebble beach getting washed out. It hasn't happened too often, but it's not out of the realm of possibilities based on where it is in the calendar. So I think that would be my question to you two is is the West Coast swing situated in the best possible spot? Or if you run a little bit of a risk of some weather delaying rounds, is that such a big problem that it actually should be relocated? I mean, Andy, it, it feels like, and I know we're going to touch on Rory's comments in a little bit, but I mean, Australia would be a great place to play golf in January and February, right? I mean, if you just played three or four events down that way. The Southern Hemisphere, it's summer there. Yep. So, I mean. To a certain extent, you're, you know, yeah, you can play golf in California this time of year. Is it the best version of golf in California? No. And I think that's kind of the shame of of everything is like when you might want to come out here. Like if I was going to if you were going to say, hey, I'm going to plan a trip to to San Francisco to play golf in Monterey. When should I go? I would say October. You know, and that's that's not when golf is, but it could, you know, and, and it's not when the PGA Tour is going to want to visit a secondary time would be a couple a couple weeks later. If you push just if you just get into like late March, or early April, you just have so much less chance of, of bad weather courses firm up. And I think the thing that is most important here is you push into the like your your telecast window changes where. If it's getting dark at 7 p.m. Pacific, you can be broadcasting well into primetime television. And I think that's really the big missed opportunity is that golf rarely gets into these great time windows. Um, You could do that easier with, you know, obviously Australia. Everybody remembers the President's Cup. That was an incredible watch with the time it was on. It was in the middle of the winter. You have nothing else going on. You turn it on. But I do I do think the the problem with moving it is if you move it, then where do you play in America without uh, during that time of year? It's not that nice in Florida yet. So the only way you can move the West Coast swing to another time is if you replace the West Coast swing with worldwide events such as, you know, Dubai, Australia, South America, South Africa. These are, you know, these are the places that have to be moved in if you're if you want if you want to move the West Coast swing to another time of year. Do you think that's the right solution? I mean, would 
do you think the tour has a problem or is it just such a bad run of luck that you'd leave these events in place because it was a fluky one-off type of year? I I think that I would want to go to places when it's the best time to go to places. That would be my general ethos. So with that in mind, I like Shane's idea that he wrote for in the newsletter of if we, why not have the the tour, the final, the FedEx Cup playoffs on the West Coast? It would effectively, like if you went Pebble Beach and Riviera leading into, you can move Eastlake back. You can keep Eastlake where it is. If you went round one of the FedEx Cup playoffs, Pebble Beach, round two at Riviera, and round three at the re redone uh east lake and, and andy you get the week off like they always have the week off so i mean any argument about travel or any of that stuff goes out the window because you have that kind of super bowl break of two weeks in theory right so there's no issues i mean granted i mean we all fly west coast east coast a decent amount i mean it's not that big of a deal but if anybody argued that point you'd say well you've got the week anyway but it's like wrap it up before tennis us open begins or you run the tour championship into the first week of the us the us open on tennis side right you could run into the first week if you wanted but get the hell out before college football starts and make it this incredibly marquee thing where summer's over for a lot of people travel and vacations done high school schools are getting back in everybody's kind of back into their routine and oh by the way you're getting primetime time golf, time golf. Yeah. to your point, Andy, that could go till 9 p.m. on the West Coast because you're basically back ending on the summer. Like, it just makes too much sense not to at least try it, considering this sport more than any other sport changes its format. Like, well, it changes its format all the time. And people are going to say, oh, all the history, all the history of, of the West Coast swing, you can't move it. Well, Pebble Beach... The his the the tradition the format everything's gone. They changed the whole event. The event does not look at all like the event that Bing Crosby started. And now, Riviera was the LA Open. There is nothing open about Riviera now. It is not an open event, so it's okay at this point. I think like if I had my brothers, I'd keep all of them on the West Coast. I think Eastlake makes a lot more sense given like the the setup of the tour. Eastlake makes a lot of sense for a designated event. I'd much rather have a designated event the week after Augusta in in Atlanta than I would in Harbortown or in uh in Hilton Head. You know, that you're going to a major metro area it, it makes more sense and and I'd love to have Atlanta have like a designated full field event or designated a big designated event, you still get that. And then you can have, you could go Chambers Bay, Pebble, Riv, or any order of those three that you want. That'd be sensational golf TV. And it's August. You don't have June gloom. You got long days and you got three places that you literally do not have to worry about weather at that time of year. I wonder if any people who have been listening to Friday podcast for any number any number of years like well you guys always throw out like all these ideas like where is the cohesiveness and i i think the reason the tour has had to change so many things like you've mentioned andy is because nothing has ever completely worked and at least in my view the guiding principle should be play the best venues at the best time of year to play them right like 
part of the reason the West Coast swing may not work isn't because any of these golf courses were saying they stink. It's that they're not being played at the best time of year to play them. And you might run into weather issues and there's, there's a better opportunity to get them on prime time. Like these are product driven decisions. And I think if the PGA tour leaned into making better product driven decisions versus some of these other considerations that they throw out, that's probably what the guiding principle should be. So I guess to be focused on something versus throwing around all these ideas, that's the guiding principle, right, Shane? Yeah, I mean, if you, like, Joseph, like, the, the biggest golf event in the world is, if you break down the Masters, it's the first major championship of the year, but it's also played on one of, if not the best golf course in the world, right? There's a reason that we all at get the, excited at about At the best the time of At the year best to time play. to play at Augusta National, right? Right, so we, why, saw the, we saw the fall, because everybody was like, oh, fall might be better. It might be a better time. And then we saw it, and we're like, no, it's not better. No, out, out. We're playing it in April. That's when you play there. Like, why are you not making Riviera, which is the best golf course on the PGA Tour? And if you walk up and down the driving range, like I know you guys did at the Genesis, and you ask these players, what do you think about this week? Almost everybody says it's my favorite course, right? Why wouldn't you conclude your season on a golf course that is the best golf course on the PGA Tour and one that the players say is their favorite venue to play? Now you're meeting... Now you're kind of meeting minds, right? You've got expectation, you've got hype, you've got buildup, but you've also got a golf course that makes it feel like a, a, an Augusta on the PGA Tour, right? If you're playing Riviera for your conclusion, to Andy's point, if you're playing Chambers and you're playing Pebble and you're leading to Riviera, you've already cut the field down to Andy's point about the LA Open. Now, all of a sudden, these dudes are hyped because they could win the Tour Championship, they could win the FedEx Cup or whatever it's called, and they could also win all that at Riviera. It'd be pretty exciting. Yeah, no complaints here. I I do think I mean that's that's a pie in the sky, you know, um dream. I think there are also scenarios where you could get the West Coast swing maybe into like April. Maybe you go there after, but that's also the best time to play golf in the southeast, right? So you run into that. It's figuring out I think like that's the the conundrum of 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 the PGA Tour schedule, but that becomes a lot easier with this designated model where you're getting we're starting to get two two tours in one, right? There's the PGA tour and the PGB tour right now. And the more that naturally I think we're going to get there. It might just take a little bit of time, but when we get to there's 25 events that all the best players in the world play, and these are them. I think that's when it becomes a lot easier to get there. It's just super hard to move all this stuff around when there's 45 of these things a year. One, one question on that that I have. Um, we talk about how golf is great because it's of the openness and Annie talking about the signature event model, which I don't know what, what you guys think, but I actually thought that like an 80 player, 80 player event with a cut, maybe 40 to, to 50 players end up making it to the weekend. I actually think that's a really good model for a tournament. But if you get to a point where 50 players lock up all of those signature event starts, right? And then there's only 30 that are being filled. Like, At what point is there a trade-off between guaranteeing starts for the stars versus openness of, of professional golf? Because a lot of criticism of Live has been that they have all these 48, 52 players locked up for a full season. It's not really an open tour. If the PGA Tour continues leaning into the signature event model, is that an open tour? Like, At, at what point 
do have we lost some of the openness of golf or are we just has that ship sailed and it's all about guaranteeing that the top players in the world starts Shane, where do you land on that? It feels like it shifted. And I think, again, I love the idea of the PGA Tour and pro golf in general being this sport that anybody with a dream can potentially play their way onto with the old Q school model. But we live in a society that, you know, is, I mean, Taylor Swift, you know, takes over the NFL, right? And all of a sudden, Travis Kelsey's this incredible superstar guy that's in every commercial. It's like we live and die by the big names and by the superstars in every walk of life. I mean, you think about what's upcoming with our presidential election and all these things like big names have taken over pretty much everything we do. And for golf, big names need to dominate the sport. If that means we lose a little bit of the openness, I think it's a good trade-off, in my opinion, to guarantee that Hideki and Rory and Scotty and JT and Jordan and that crew is battling it out if they qualify. I think that's also important. It's like you do have to qualify for these things. And if your game isn't up to snuff like we saw with JT last year, you're not going to be at Riv for the quote-unquote tour championship. And I think it's important. I know relegation's thrown around a lot. I think it's important to keep that as a core part of your sport, not guaranteeing certain people are there just because they're superstars, but allowing people to play their way into it. But once you get there, you're dialed in, you're locked in, and you have a chance to play in a relatively small field, it feels like that's where golf has needed to go. And it feels like that's where golf's at right now. Yeah, I think the the relegation just has to be extremely tight, right? There should, if it could get, if it could ever, and we've, you know, this is an idealistic thing, but if it could ever get to a point where there's no handouts, right? No exemptions. None. Zero handouts. Like nobody's invited unless you qualify. Like that's you, how sport is. Yeah. Yeah, you win you win a major, great job. Like that doesn't give you a 3-year exemption on the PGA Tour. Like you got to keep going. And I think that that's one way that you can combat what we talked about earlier with the with the riches, the complacency that that money brings is by having a really really strong relegation and qualification system where everything's earned. You know, if you if you have, let's just say, 60 exempt players, at least a third of them have to churn out. If you finish in the bottom 20 of these exempt players, you're out. You're back into where you got to earn your way into them. I do really I do really like the way that the tour has avenues for people to play into these events Um, one off occasions on multiple event occasions on you can earn your way into all of them for a year if you play well enough i love that i think the issue and i i raised this on the shotgun start the issue is when you have things like the charlie hoffman thing happen in scottsdale and it was a great story i loved watching charlie hoffman but if you dig into why charlie hoffman was in scottsdale it was because he used a career money exemption. And it's like, well, that wasn't earned. Like the last couple of years have shown us that Charlie Hoffman isn't a great player on the PGA Tour anymore. And, you know, maybe he figured something out. But the fact is, is that some players that played extraordinarily well on the European Tour, on the DP War, on the um, Corn Ferry Tour, were not in that field and did not have a chance, even though they have more earned it in recent years play. I don't care what somebody did for the tour 10 years ago. I care about what somebody has been doing the last 12 months. And and I think that's where all the little exemptions have to go. And it, and 
this is the time. This is, you know, when I I know that SSG, the investors in the tour were out and are soliciting um, feedback, information on how to make the product better. It's, I don't think it's 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 all competitive. It's it's all making it the most competitive place to play golf. That's what people like. What people liked about Riviera was it was a, a highly competitive tournament with great players at the top of the leaderboard. So I was walking around with the Wyndham Clark group for a while. It was Wyndham, Rory, and who was the third? Max. Yeah, Max. Was it Max? Yeah, it was Max. Wyndham missed the cut, and as he was missing some putts down the stretch, he was fired up. He knew exactly where he was. He's trying to prove himself as one of the best players in the world. Despite only 18 or so players getting cut, like those guys knew exactly where they are. So I, I agree with you, Andy. We need to be focusing on the most competitive possible version of the product. And things like sponsor exemptions, career money list exemptions, that's not it. So sorry, Charlie Hoffman, like you're going to have to play your way into the event through some of these non-signature events, which I think elevates the non-signature events and gives them more meaning. And, and you know, like outside of golf is such a different sport than every other sport we watch. I know we're all NBA fans. You know, when you hear players that are contemplating retirement, it's not that they can't go out and score 20 anymore, right? It's that they can't score 25 games in a row. It's that their body doesn't allow them to continually be competitive. And for Charlie Hoffman, like the waste management was a was a 20-point game. Played great. He was as good as everybody in the field outside of one guy who had a red-hot finish. But, Andy, I think your point here is you need to play well for an extended amount of time to show that you're deserving of a spot. And you can't just go out there and score 20 in one game and then your knees are hurt for the next week because you can't keep consistently doing that. It's time to hang them up, right? Like these guys that are in the big events need to play great golf for a long time. I would go as far as to say, I don't even like the idea of saying top 50. I almost feel like you could approach it like the LPGA does with their Hall of Fame. And you go, here's the criteria. you got to hit 20 points for the year. And then you get in and almost make it a floating number just to allow people to, in theory, play their way in or out no matter the number. And if the number's got to shrink like a master's field, so be it. But saying 50 or 65 or 70, I think allows people, especially great players, to be a little lazy. Like, make it a floating qualification where if you don't hit these numbers, you're out. And if you hit these numbers and we've got to inflate the field a little bit, you're in. The amazing thing about golf is if you switched that, it would completely change the 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 um way Mindset. people thought about it yeah because it's like oh i'm i'm fine but if you make it something that you have to earn i think it would actually help a lot of guys get in like five points for a top 10 on a, at a major you know you you get whatever the number is if you win a major maybe the number maybe the points number is 20 and you get 19 points if you win a major so you literally need one other thing to do it but yeah like just I mean, listen, golf doesn't need more numbers and qualification numbers and things like that. I mean, the FedEx Cup has been as confusing as anything in sport over the last decade. But I think we've talked a lot about complacency and money. And I think, Joseph, you've nailed it with the way guys think about these events, knowing that it doesn't really matter to their year or getting into the events, considering they're in these events in the world ranking points and FedEx Cup points, which come with just being in the field. But pushing the guys a little bit to have to play well all the time I think would make the fields in golf more interesting. And it would also allow us to see who truly is the best player 
the majors right now show that, right? Like Joseph, I think your point about Will Zalatoris, like he's played great in the majors, right? Brooks Kepka's played great in the majors. They don't don't always play great in the events where maybe they're not 100% focused, but coming down the stretch, needing a few more quote-unquote qualification points would force these players to think a little bit more like they do in major championship golf. And, and to that point, Shane, like I think what we're really getting at is how do you motivate players and I mean, I think you saw with the NBA All-Star Game, they're having a serious issue. Yep. How do you Real get professional issue. athletes motivate who are millionaires? How do you motivate them? And I think we're past the point probably where money is a significant incentive. It's obviously an incentive. But I think two things that incentivize hyper-competitive athletes are embarrassment and jealousy. And having your butt on the couch watching other players compete in a highly competitive exciting event is a good way to motivate guys. I'm sure Justin Thomas watching Hideki come down the stretch. He was pretty motivated to get out to the range so that other people are watching him. I think there's been a lot of discussion. How additive is a cut line? I think one thing I've learned over the past year, year and a half is it's probably more additive than I had given it credit for. In the totally past. agree. And so I think totally that might be the best you. way to motivate players. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think there, I remember, um, the minor league golf tour down in Florida told me that the the guy that runs it, um, I, I his name's escaping me. It kills me that I'm forgetting it. Scott Turner, I think his name is. Great guy. He told me, I, I remember I was playing an event right after the Masters, and he said that their biggest sign-up day for tournament golf is always Sunday and Monday after the Masters. Motivation, That's when the baby. most people sign up for tournaments on this on this mini tour it's it's when you're watching other people play highly competitive tournaments with high stakes is when you get motivated to go to the range when you get motivated to play better oh man big wind there goes the door <laughs> um <laughs> don't have a tournament in andy's backyard right now it would not go well <laughs> yeah um but yeah so i think this is this is it i mean it, it's not a hard playbook it's it's actually not complex at all it's just make make the tournaments competitive make relegation a thing and i think it 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 shores up everything and bring move the west coast to the fall uh, go to the end of the season when you can use the time uh time zone and great playing conditions to your advantage Joseph, do you think this world tour thing is a re- is actually a possibility? I mean, I know we've kind of talked around it and potentially playing golf in different areas of the world at different times of the year when the weather's better and X, Y, and Z. But I know you loved what Rory kind of said in his whatever five plus minutes that you tweeted out. Do you think this is a a real possibility or pipe dream? Where are we at? I'm always hesitant to weigh in when there's when there's such like an asymmetry of information where the people who are involved in this know so much more. They have access to so many more details yeah. than I do. So in terms of talking about how practical it is, I don't want to sound like an idiot and say yes or no. And then the people who are actually working on this deal are like, well, you don't know half of what we know. <laughs> I, I think it could make sense. I mean, I love the idea of this upper tour of about 80 players. I think 80 is a really good number because you can get them through a day of play like we've seen with these signature events. So I think having this upper level of 80 players makes a ton of sense. Rory said it's like champions league. I'm not, I don't follow soccer that well, but the the reference makes sense. And then you have other players who are working in other tours to get up to that top 80. I think that's practical. That, that makes sense to me in terms of playing all around the world and the tax implications of playing in different venues. Like I don't, I don't know all of that stuff, but the, the overall architecture of having 
a tour of 80 with everything that feeds into that. I think the final step is to make a really exciting season end championship. That's oh, not man. This, 30 this is, players. People, this is, this is maybe the most used take in, in Friday uh, golf podcast history. It should be, <laughs> it, it, it should be a level to getting up from there. It shouldn't be that if you're, you know, in the top 80, you feel like you're going to make the finals, which is 30 players. That should be another carrot. We've been talking about cut lines. Like that's another example of one. Get into the top 10. I do think it's an, this is, this is the time of all times to be talking about changes to the PGA tour, because I think a lot of stuff is on the table. I also think there is a lot, a lot of political maneuverings between two sides of the camp. I think, there's the Rory McIlroy side that's trying to push this into a direction of world tour, um, a direction of like a top tier tour um, that has, you know, sm- you know, a smaller group of individuals. A lot of what we've been talking about, that type of of golf tour. I think the other side of it is is very much rooted in why do we need to change anything? And that right now is the big kind of discourse and the big um let's just say divide in the pga tour right now and maybe why like not it doesn't seem like a happy place out there despite everybody making more money and playing less golf making a lot more money and it seems like there's legit apathy for being there i mean like literally you just it's just i like sundays are fun the final rounds are fun Last nine holes can be fun when, like Nick Taylor was fun in Phoenix, right? Like that was crazy to just watch. Ha- Obviously, it just happened uh, during the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's just like it was, it was like an a, awesome finish. Seventy-five. Change, change your, go ahead. To your point, Matthew Pavan may be the ultimate example of what the PJ Tour has done both correctly and still has work to do. Right, <laughs> that they got a player who has done well overseas into their events, who deserved to be there and has played really well and then still decided not to show up at a $20 million purse at one of the tour's most iconic venues. I think it's a good example of the the good job they've done of creating a competitive environment, but how they haven't nailed the incentive structure yet. Could you imagine turning down a Riv tea time where there was like 60 people on the golf course for the day? Oh my goodness. It'd be so good. For $20 million. For 20 Getting paid to play it. A lot of money to play it. Hey, Shane, did you pick up on the vibe uh, on the ground? We all were on the ground last week. Did you? Did you? It just didn't seem like it was, it was a happy place, despite I, it being Riviera in wonderful weather all week. Yeah, it's it's so strange. That's the first I was at Phoenix for a bit, but the weather was so bad. I didn't really go out on the golf course much. I mean, I spent a decent amount of time on the range for a couple of days and walking up and down and talking to players. And yeah, it's just it kind of just feels like you're you're sitting at an airport waiting for your de- delayed flight to take off. Like that's what it feels like to me. Is everybody's kind of waiting for what is next to happen. And nobody knows when the people are going to get on the microphone and tell you we're actually going to board in 30 minutes. So I don't know if it's if they're disappointed, if they're unhappy. But, Joseph, you said it. They're playing for a way more money than they've ever played for on the PGA Tour. And you've got a lot of people out there that are just kind of going through the motions, it feels like to me. Like the Jordan Speed thing is a great example. I know he wasn't feeling well. I know whatever was going on stomach-wise was going on with him as well to some of the other players that were dealing with the bug or whatever the case may be. But – Jordan Spieth has never been disqualified for the scorecard thing yet. And to 
glance over your card and not pay enough attention to actually look at the numbers you made, to me, kind of says everything that needs to be said about the PJ Tour right now. That doesn't happen if you're really dialed in. That doesn't happen. Does if that you're happen at a major tournament? No, of course no. not. Of course not. But it shouldn't happen at Riv either, Joseph. Like this is of the all of the events outside of the major championship golf. It's players in Riv to me where you'd pay a lot of attention to your card more than you ever do before. And when I saw that and and saw it was Jordan and Jordan was playing well, what was he three or four shots back at that uh, point? Maybe more. He had maybe a rough, more than he, that. He doubled, well, he doubled eighteen. Right. That's before. right. That's right. He hit it right. He hit it right and made a mess eighteen. <laughs> but you know. Like to glance over your card and sign it and run out, even if you're not feeling oh. good. I just don't feel like that happens if you're really locked in. You wouldn't have signed it. You would have said, I got to run. I'll and I think everybody understood. I'll be right back. I just got to go take care of something. Yeah, I'll take the card with me. That's something to do while I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with. But like <laughs> just to write your name down and not to check the numbers. Like, Andy, I mean, I've played in a lot of golf tournaments. You've played in a lot of golf tournaments. Like never had anybody in my group deal with this before. Not one person. Like it's the one thing you maybe spend two minutes of your time looking over. You don't even have to add up your card. Like that's the greatest part about hole it. You just got to make. You just got to make sure the numbers are right. Yeah, I don't know. It's it maybe it's shot link data. People should do it for him. You know, he's kidding. I'd, Greller Greller's a math teacher. He I should be doing this. Around. He should be doing this. Well, did you see the Kyle Porter thing he tweeted out about? Uh, what Jordan is like a press conference from last year or a couple of years ago. Yeah, when he the, said the he JT thing. Yeah, he didn't write down his score for 17 holes. <laughs> like that stresses me out seeing that. I would be so stressed if I had no numbers written down for 17 holes of golf. I would, I'd love to be able to, if you could play 17 holes without thinking about your score, that'd be, you'd probably play your best golf of your right. life. Um, all right. That does it. Anybody, do you have any parting thoughts, anything else you want to get off your chest before we cut out of here? Is your I mind on the majors? Is, is the Masters, like, coming into view? Always to me. I mean, I just get, you know, I get so excited for it. And I think, again... It's not the players? I think it's been such a letdown of a year to this point that I hope... The, and I said this to you on Sunday, Joseph. Like, I hope that the majors make up for maybe the disappointing start to the year. And then we can talk about how great 24 was because 23 start was great. And the majors were kind of sleepy. So hopefully they're great, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I've got circled. I mean, you know, weather at the players is always an issue as well. So uh, we any names, see. any names, anyone wants to throw out that not a top five guy in the world that you think is going to play well at the masters beside Bryson. Is- Aside for JT Poston. And Bryson, that's that's our picks. Aside <laughs> from my guy, JT Poston. Um, Zalatoris? Yes. I think, I mean, the putting stroke looks great. Andy, your thoughts on the stroke? It's, it's way better. I mean, it's way better. It's still different when you get to eight feet than it is from 15 feet, right? But that's, that's the case with, con- that's, but that's the case with every bad putter. Like everybody that doesn't putt great is going to struggle closer to the hole than further away. And Andy, if we've learned anything about Augusta National, you don't have to be a great putter to win there. I mean, look at the list of players that have won there over the years. You know who I like? I like number 29 in the world, Brooks Kepka. (laughs) (laughs) It's my my dark horse. (laughs) Two scrolls down the rankings to see. Hey, are we going to? This is another podcast. I I know. you know what I'm super excited about? I'm excited to see number 11 in the world, uh, Ludwig Oberg. I'm, I've got the yips with his names. I don't, I don't even know what I think to you, do. you did. I think you nailed it right there, actually. Um, I, 
I'm excited to him, see him play a major. He's never yeah. played in one. He's 11 in the world. Joseph, I got a name for you. I got a name down the world rankings, if you will, that I think could contend and potentially win at Augusta National. That's what I want to hear. Let's hear it. It's 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 fit daddy, baby. Jason Day. I just I think oh, Jason man. Day playing some good golf headed in has had some success there over the years. I could see J Day putting three and a half good rounds together and getting him there come Sunday. It's not crazy. He has been so difficult the last like year and a half to figure out because he was really going around this time last year and then completely fell off after his win at TPC Craig Ranch, which is uh, you know major championship like setup, of course. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll see. He's kind of fell off the second half of last year, and then now it looks like he's showing some signs. I don't hate that call at all. I'll go Cam Young, your guy. So either Cam Young or Cam Davis. Um, I yeah, Jason Day. I I kind of love this. I love when you think an athlete's toast. Like, I think that most people thought Jason Day was done. For sure. And I love when you just, you know, truly a great player of his generation. We get a little extra run of him. And um, I'm, I'm just enjoying Jason Day being a part of golf when so many of his peers are kind of out of it now. All right. That does it. Thank you guys for coming on. Um, And we'll talk soon again, I'm sure. Good luck with the shed door. All right. Thanks to Shane for coming on. Uh, Joseph, let's get to recommendations. What, What do you got for me? Andy, I'm curious if you've seen the show. I don't watch a lot of TV, so I'm not the a TV expert here, but the show Severance has been recommended to me by so many people that I trust that I finally watched the first episode last night and I'm all the way in. It's it's on Apple TV. It's it's basically about people whose memories are bifurcated when they walk into work. They're like a completely different person that has no knowledge of them, like their home life. Um, it, it sounded kind of funky to me. And when people had described the plot, I wasn't as interested. But now that I've watched the first episode, I'm all the way in. I've heard it's great. There's only one season, so it's not a huge commitment. Uh, pretty excited about it. Have you seen Severance, Andy? I have not. Um, you know, to be completely honest, I wish I was watching Severance last night instead of the NBA All-Star game, uh, which was a complete disaster. Maybe we'll touch on that. That was almost that was almost my out pick for earlier in the episode. Uh, I went to the last great All-Star game, which was that 2021 in Chicago where they did the Sloan scoring system, which was awesome. Um, it was like the end of an NBA finals game the players cared so much but this year was a disaster but I wish I was watching Severance I'm going to make some time for it based off your recommendation <laughs> try it out uh, always looking for a show my recommendation is Narwhal Coffee little local spot in Santa Monica it's on the south side of Santa Monica I don't know what it is about this coffee shop but I think like a quality of a good coffee shop is do you leave there feeling better happier than when you entered. It's the start of the morning. You want to get your morning off on a good foot. So if you're visiting Santa Monica, uh, particularly the, the south side of it, check out Narwhal Coffee. Great little shop. Good coffee. I think there's probably better cups of coffee. I don't think you're going to get better atmosphere. Small little place, like nice decor on the inside, uh, playful Narwhal logo, and awesome banana bread. So I, my recommendation, check out Narwhal Coffee in Santa Monica if you're there. 
from an arch- architecture perspective, it ranks well in terms of creating a sense of place. Yeah, yeah, it's right by the ocean, and it, it yeah, it, it definitely does actually. Like it, <laughs> it, you feel like you're in a Santa Monica coffee shop. Um, you there are people that are rolling in from their morning surfs uh, that go over there. It's a great spot. It's got good coffee. It's not bad coffee. I don't think it's like the best coffee, but it's it's really good coffee. Um, anyways, uh, that does it for today's episode of the Friday Golf podcast big thanks to matt ruches for doing the edit and putting together a quick note on our way out if you are looking to attend a friday golf event if you haven't attended one they are great fun you get together with a group of people that like just love golf at great golf courses we have one uh that still has a few spots available at lake merced that's uh march 11th this is a great time to get away from the midwest northeast and get out to san francisco play some golf uh, if you know, you could bring your significant other, uh, out, spend a weekend in San Francisco or Napa, um, come down. It is a, uh, it'll be a, a great event at a great golf course redone by Gil Hans to recapture that original Alistair McKenzie spirit. So if you're interested in that, check out the events page in our pro shop, pro shop.thefriedegg.com. And big thanks for listening to another episode of this podcast. We'll be back later this week with another one. <laughs>